Welcome back to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. It feels like we have just begun, but here we are in week six, seven. Thank you guys for your support. Please make sure you download, make sure you subscribe, make sure you share with your friends. We have an amazing guest today. We have my sister, Asia Wilson, who is the former number one draft pick for the Las Vegas Aces, a good game cop uh, who will be joining us today. But shout out to Hillary Clinton and Charlemagne the God and Deshaun Watson and everybody who's joined the Bakari Sellers podcast. Make sure if you have any suggestions, you leave a note. Make sure you uh, actually leave some comments on social media about how we can be better. And before I get to my sister, Asia Wilson, I wanted to talk a bit about power, particularly what seems like Democrats' unwillingness, or at least their discomfort with wielding it. I want to talk about three issues. Eliminating the filibuster. The requirement that you first get 60 votes before proceeding to vote on legislation that only needs a simple majority to pass. Statehood for Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. And expanding the federal judiciary. You see, eliminating the filibuster. Just last week at Congressman Lewis's funeral, our forever president, Barack Obama, reminded us that the filibuster is a relic of Jim Crow. Once we pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, we should... Keep marching to make it even better by making sure every American is automatically registered to vote, including former inmates who've earned their second chance. By adding polling places and expanding early voting and making Election Day a national holiday so if you are somebody who's working in a factory or you're a single mom who's got to go to her job and doesn't get time off, you can still cast your ballot by guaranteeing that every American citizen has equal representation in our government, including the American citizens who live in Washington, D.C. and in Puerto Rico. They're Americans. By ending some of the partisan gerrymandering so that all voters have the power to choose their politicians, not the other way around. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic, in order to secure the God-given rights of every American, then that's what we should do. He's right. The filibuster in its current form is a tool that was popularized by Southern segregationist senators to stop civil rights legislation. We will have a Senate majority come in next January, but it will be a razor thin one. And we will not have 60 votes to do any of the things that Vice President has promised or that Democrats want to see done. Not police reform, not lowering prescription drug prices, not a public option for health care not student loan debt cancellation, nothing. Democrats in 2021, please, God, get rid of the filibuster. Turning to D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood, for years, taxpaying residents of Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico have had no vote on final legislation in Congress and go unrepresented in the United States Senate. But more importantly, for the purpose of our discussion, if those two territories were to become states, that's at least two guaranteed Democratic Senate votes from D.C. and potentially another two from Puerto Rico. So why haven't we made those two territory states? A part of the answer is, you guessed it, racism. 
D.C. and Puerto Rico would be majority black and brown states and likely to send black and brown members to the Senate. Don't believe it's about racism. Listen to Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. Washington is a city with all the characteristics of a city, not a state. Washington doesn't have the size or diversity of interest of even the smallest of the 50 states. Washington also doesn't have the diversity of interests and financial independence that Madison explained were necessary for a well-functioning state. Yes, Wyoming is smaller than Washington by population, but it has three times as many workers in mining, logging, and construction, and 10 times as many workers in manufacturing. In other words, Wyoming is a well-rounded, working-class state. A new state of Washington would not be. Cotton, by far, is one of the worst. What they tell you is D.C. is corrupt. You read that as saying led by black people, while Wyoming is well-rounded. You can read that as saying has a whole lot of white folk. So since we're tearing down racist statues and can't tear Tom Cotton down, Democrats, let's make D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood real priorities in 2021. That's two to four more votes for our current agenda in Washington. Now, this last issue is my favorite issue. It's the one that I've attempted to get every Democratic candidate running for president, everyone to actually stand up and listen to. It's something we were able to help put into the Democratic platform just last week, but we have to expand the federal judiciary. We understate how much damage President Trump has done to our courts by appointing the least qualified and least diverse, but one of the youngest groups of judges we've seen in this country. What that means, Trump judges will shape what kind of health care you get, what kind of restrictions there are on our police, and the government's ability to do basic things like ensure our water and air are clean. Beyond the two Supreme Court picks, almost 25% of all active federal judges in the United States right now are Trump appointees. And he is tied with George W. Bush, another Republican, in the number of appointees he has made this far into his presidency. Meanwhile, we haven't expanded the judiciary in a meaningful way since 1990. That's 30 years. Jimmy Carter added 152 judgeships to the federal courts as president. Joe Biden needs to do the same. Having a black Supreme Court justice is nice, but we need more judges. Actually, I need both. All the things Democrats want to see done, we can't have if we don't have the votes. And if judges strike down every law we pass, even if we have the votes. Piecemeal reforms here and there, or even the most transformative proposals like a Green New Deal, don't matter without drastically and dramatically shifting the real power in Washington. I need more than lip service from Democrats on the filibuster, statehood, and the judiciary. This is shit we got to get done. Now, on to one of my favorite interviews I've done with my sister and good friend, Miss Asia Wilson. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. 
ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. So what's up, Miss Asia Wilson? How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. I know you're in the middle of a season, so thank you for taking some time out to join <laughs> the Bakari Sellers podcast. I know waking up and uh, just hopping on a podcast after game night is not optimal, so I just want to say thank you. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> How's the family doing? Most people don't know that you come from a basketball family, and I take pride in saying that you are by far uh, the best basketball player in your family. What was it like growing up with Puff, who is a quarter as good as you, and your father, who actually was a legit pro? What's that like? Oh man, it's it's pretty good. I couldn't complain. You know, with my with my brother Ronaldo, I honestly say that he got the musical side of everything. Um, I'm not that talented in that area, but he's not that talented in the athletic side. So I think we have a pretty good balance balance in our family. He tried to play sports, but it really didn't work out. So he went into the music and I'm like, yeah, you can keep that side. But my dad has definitely taught me a lot. <laughs> We've seen you dance. So we know that we know that, that, that Ronaldo, excuse me, we're going with his government name, Ronaldo. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, yeah. And your dad played professional for a little while. How much did that, I, I used to see uh, like the pictures of you in high school with a weight vest on, like using your left hand and right hand. And like, at, what was that like growing up with the professional dad? Um, it was tough because I honestly couldn't separate, you know, dad from coach because I'm like, you're my dad. Like you're supposed, I'm daddy's little girl. You're not supposed to be doing this. I'm not supposed to be going through all of this. But at the same time, you know, he wanted what was best for me. And I'm so grateful that I'd be able to have a dad that was my trainer, that was my coach. That was honest to me because in my first couple of years of basketball, I didn't, I didn't come off the bench and my dad was the assistant coach. And I'm like, dang, I must really suck if my dad <laughs> is the assistant coach. He's still not letting me play. So um, it was tough at times. There'll be times where I'll go home to my mom and I'm like, listen, either he get kicked out or I'm kicking him out. <laughs> like I would be so mad. I wouldn't talk to my dad for like days, but I didn't see that he was developing me into the player and the person that I am today. So I have to give it to both him and my mom for making me so balanced and helping me understand everything around me. So, you know, you are uh, the former number one pick. You were a national player of the year. You were, you know, all everything, McDonald's (laughs) All-American, everything. I'm even rocking my Asia Wilson jersey on the day, (laughs) which I'm very, very proud of. But just uh, a couple of weeks ago, you wrote a piece entitled Dear Black Girl. What, what motivated you to write that piece? Um, it was something that has really been sitting on my heart for a long, long time. And I just didn't know the perfect time to put it out there. I knew that I wanted to, but I just didn't know the timing. But honestly, I think when everything went down with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, that was really when it stuck out to me because I'm like, okay, you know, George Floyd is starting to get the justice that he deserves. And it's not even near where it needs to be. But then all of a sudden you see Breonna uh, Taylor get nothing. Like you just, she just goes, just everything just goes away. Timelines go back to normal. And I'm like, you know, even though I'm just not even in the same situation as her, I can't even say that I am. But the things that she's going through is the same thing a black woman goes through. Always mm-hmm. constantly being under just drugged underneath the rug, just have to be so independent. Oh, no one really cares. So I knew I wanted to get that out because for one, I had to let everyone know that I am black before I'm anything. Uh, Take the accolades away. Take the basketball away from you. You have a black woman. And I think people kind of get caught up in that because I could put the ball in the hoop. 
So I really wanted to make it be known that I am Black before I'm anything, and I am a Black woman before I'm anything. And that piece really was something that I just wanted to relate to all the Black girls about. Well, I'm, I'm thankful that you used your platform, and I've known you long enough to know that you're always going to speak your truth to power <laughs> and, and use your platform. But this passage jumped out at me. You said, I don't want to have to be unapologetic for you to hear me. I want to be able to whisper if I want to. I want to be able to be a professional, to do just my thing on the court. And when I'm scrolling through my feed, I want to see faces that look like mine. Like unpack what you meant right there, because I think you're acknowledging something very important, especially during this age of social media where everybody has to be the loudest or want the most attention or be the most provocative. But talk to me about what you meant uh, and the own stress, because that's not how everyone expresses their their blackness. Talk to me about that. Yes. I mean, uh, for me, I just, I, you know, the stereotype of the angry black woman is something that will probably never die down. And I hate the fact that I have to come out of my character in order to be heard. And then when I am heard, I'm always, it's else about it. Oh, she's a little angry. Oh, she's this. And it's always the tagline to it. And I'm like, I don't want to always have to come out of my character or act a certain way to be acknowledged. And sometimes when I'm just sitting around, like every time I look on social, it's just something, it's just something else. And I'm like, where are the people that look like me? I know they're behind the scenes and I know they work so hard to get to where they are, but yet we still put the forefront of the white face. And I get it. Okay. You say it sells, it said brings attention. But at the same time, when you're in something that's predominantly black, like the NCAA or like the WNBA, you know, you just want to see things that look like you. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to continue to play in this bubble, because I want young girls to turn on that CBS, NBA TV, ESPN, and to watch people that look like them play the game that we love and also use it as a tool to bring social justice to what is being, what's going on in the world today. So that part was actually one of my favorites because not everyone can be just outspoken and use their platform and use their voice. Sometimes they just want to say what they got to say and keep it moving, but still be understood and heard. And so in that way, I just wanted to be the voice for the voiceless and let everyone know that I shouldn't have to come out of character in order to be heard. And it's crazy because it reminds me so much of uh, our beloved Lady G's last year, 32 and one, and still not getting the respect that they deserve. I mean, everybody was talking about Oregon, which was a two, three loss team. They even lost to Oregon State. Um, But nobody was talking about a team that went 32 and one. And the only loss they had was a five against eight down in the Bahamas or Virgin Islands. (laughs) So, um, you know, uh, along those same lines, I don't think people outside of women's basketball or South Carolina understand just how much of a boss and living legend Don Staley is. Talk to us about what it's like playing for a real G, a real legend, and Don Staley. <laughs> oh man, it's it's who, great. by it's the hot. way, by the way, she says you still still don't know and remember plays. I, she, <laughs> you, you just do your own thing. Just go put it in a bucket. That's it. I'm like I, all these plays are cute and stuff, but at the end of the day, we got to put points on this board. And that's it. I know one thing. I know one way to get it done, and that's to do it. But yeah, like uh, playing for a coach Staley has definitely been one of the best decisions I've probably made as, as a teenager. Um, just going to play for somebody that has done so much for the women's game, and she has cracked that glass ceiling. And and, uh, and she, you know, she made it open and helped me understand that I was capable of breaking that glass ceiling. The generation that was coming up 
during that time when I was leaving college was ready for it. And I think that's something that you don't really find a lot, especially in the NCAA where coaches are straight up and honest with you through the recruiting process, through the times that you're there. And I was just so grateful to be a part of her, uh, just being one of her players that's in her circle because you learn so much. Like I'm, uh, she's like my second mom. She's constantly always in my ear about what I got on and why do I say this and just different things. Just the nitpicky mom stuff. That's Coach Taylor, and I could just appreciate that because she's real. She is who she is. So it was a lot of fun. And like I, I said this before, I was like, and she looks like me. Like it goes back to that whole thing. Like you have this black woman that is killing the game. That is just like she could be anywhere else. And so many people talk about her. But at the end of the day, she is who she is. And I'm so grateful to be able to just say that and to know that I have her phone number that I can call it. Do y'all still do y'all still talk every day? Or oh my god, often? yes. <laughs> yeah, we talk, we talk frequently. She's always on me and I'm like, if I'm stressed out over a game or anything, I know I can always text her and she's at any time. If it's just even a little teed here and there, anything, we're always talking. So, so it, let, it's let me ask you let me ask you a tough question. <laughs> Uh, who wins a matchup? The Gamecock team, your sophomore year, I think it was with Tiffany Mitchell. I believe okay. that was a it, that y'all were y'all were just Tiffany was a beast, boy. Uh, the national championship team, Ooh. or last year's Lady Gamecock team. Who who wins? Who who's the best of those three teams? Who wins? Ooh, who's the best? Oh man, I would have to say. I would have to say my sophomore year. I would have to that say your that, sophomore that. year's team was better than the national championship team? Only because we had a lot more depth, I think. Like, that's when Lay and I were coming off the bench still. And it was in a way that was like, I'm not even coming off the bench. We, that's when we had Alicia Welch. Oh, was that my freshman year? I'm thinking about Ooh. the year where Tiffany, where, where y'all went and she hit the game winner against Florida State, maybe? Mm, and when Greensboro, tough. am I making Ooh, that up yeah. in my head? <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to. Oh, sorry. Okay, I'm thinking sophomore year is South Dakota year. Absolutely, that was the worst year of my like whole college career because I absolutely hated that. Yeah, not that, not that year. Okay, maybe oh. it's your freshman year. <laughs> okay, yeah, my freshman year. No, freshman, freshman year. Okay, year. we got a year. Freshman year yeah, team. There we go. Okay, that, that was fire because like we had a killer bench. We had depth. I mean, national championship team was cool because we had some good additions. But I would have to say my freshman year team, I think it would be the other two teams easily. Easy? We had, we had Alicia Welch, L, Tiff, Asia Dozier. Like, and it was me and Lake coming off the bench. We had, who else? Bianca. Yeah. Every, like, that team, it was, if we would have had, like, one more year, and we made it to the final four. Yeah, we had one yeah, I remember. Year. I remember, man. I was... Your freshman year team was dope. That that junior year team, though, with those additions, you, you yeah, had, you had like the, the, Kayla the, and Leach, They were big. Yeah, they the smooth, the smooth lefty. Uh, you had <laughs> Kayla, Kayla, who hasn't seen a shot she doesn't like. Uh, right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> y'all had a good, yeah. y'all had a good squad. I don't know these girls from last year. I, uh, Boston and them gonna have something to say about that, but that's okay. <laughs> um, we can still oh, set it up. We all we oh. all pretty much still play, so we're good. All right, we'll set that up. We'll set that up. Uh, A lot of people rightly give you credit as the pivotal recruit that turned South Carolina women's basketball into the powerhouse that it is now, surpassing the Connecticut's, Tennessee's, and Mississippi State's. Looking back at your time at South Carolina, did you realize then that you would build something that would last this long after you left? Um, mm, 
Not at all. Um, I, I knew something was going to happen. I didn't think that we would then eventually turn into like a powerhouse, a team that's like, dang, South Carolina is always up there. And, and at the time, heck no. I was just trying to go to put on for my state uh, to help Coach Staley and things. And I'm like, all right, I, we can do this. We're fully capable of doing this. And then once I left, that's when it really hit. That's like, wow, like we really started something. We really got people to join the ride and come together and bring the state together at that. Because I would remember just our place being packed on like a Sunday at noon. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Jesus. But it's, it's, it was real because everyone wanted to come see us. Everybody wanted to come see us play. And it was so special to just watch us really convert South Carolina into something so positive because we were having a bunch of stuff going on. But at the end of the day, everybody rallies together for a women's basketball game. So it's it's amazing. Yeah, like it's it's mind blowing, and still going back now and just seeing it, and still seeing seats filled. That's big. That's big time. Not a lot of people can do that. How did you say no to Gino or Emma? How did I say no? Um, I mean, because having Gino come to Hopkins, South Carolina. I mean, that's. I mean, Gino probably came through Hopkins. Like, where the hell am I? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, it was just something. It was just a feeling. Like, I just really felt like South Carolina was where the right place for me. Like, uh, even honestly, I can go on the record and say this: Chapel Hill was my second choice. Like, UConn wasn't even my second choice. I, I really loved Chapel Hill, and yeah, that's no. when they had their powerhouse as well. You and, and Di- it would have been you so and Diamond, cool. right? You, it would have been you and Diamond yeah, and Shields on that team. Yeah, that's when they had, like, Leash there, Stephanie Mavonga. Like, they had that. That was the number oh, yeah. one recruiting class. So I was like, dang, like, we could do something big. And then that's when it just didn't. My, my mom kind of slapped me back into reality because uh, I was trying to go for the wrong reasons. And, <laughs> and I was just going to be college. Like, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I, I know what that is. <laughs> I was like, I'm thinking about like college. Like, I don't want to be driving down five points and see my parents. Like, no. <laughs> my mom kind of like slapped me back into reality. And I was like, I guess you're right. Because you know so if, like, it's between, if it's between four and seven, you might actually bump into Roscoe at the bar with us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, I'm, like, I was just like, no, like I don't want that. But you know, like when I really sat down with Coach Staley and the coaching staff, like I just really was like, this is they could have been anywhere, and I still would have tried to. That coaching staff there was just, it was just different. So that was really, so it made it was tough, of course, saying though at a young age to these top profile, high profile coaches. But I knew I made the best decision and the right decision for me. I want to just talk to you about the pressure that you're under, and you may not feel it, and and maybe that's not the right way to frame it, but you were the unanimous choice for Rookie of the Year. The Aces were last in the league before you got there, and in one year, because of you and many and some other additions, you know, almost made the playoffs, and then you've just taken off, right? You're doing amazing things. Did you feel like as the first pick in the draft, you had to perform did you see yourself becoming Rookie of the Year and having one of the most successful seasons in WNBA history your first year? And what type of pressure was that? Yeah, um, I mean, going drafted number one, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just things that you just dream of. Like, you don't even know until you're in the moment. Like, I remember just being at, in New York and um, all the other draftees was like, oh, Angie, you don't need to worry. You're, like, going number one. And I'm like, no, I'm still nervous. Like, I was still shaking. My heart was just pounding. But then when you hear your name being called as the number one draft pick, it's just something that's, like, just weight lifted off your shoulders because you just know, like, all your hard work has gotten you to probably the top title that you could possibly get. So I was just like, wow, like, this is a huge deal for me right now. So 
I was just excited to play and, and being in the women's game, everything happened so quickly. Like it was like, I lost in Albany, had to go to the final four and then boom, you're drafted. So I never really got a chance to decompress, which I really enjoy because I'm like, okay, I can just keep running. I can just keep going, keep going, keep going. But then it's funny that you asked because during quarantine, I really reflect on that time. And I just was just so happy to be in the moment that I really didn't even think about, oh, I'm going to get rookie here. Oh, I'm about to do this. It was just a thing that's like, I'm just trying to be better than I was last year. And yes, we did not make playoffs and it really, really ticked me off. But at the end of the day, when you look back at, at, and especially being so new to Vegas and new to everything, we formed a fan base that is incredible for our league. And that was something that really I was very proud of because they didn't know us. They didn't know anything about us. But they still came out every single game and they support us no matter what. So I was really happy about how things went on. And when it came to pressure, I think I just learned from junior year in South Carolina. I can't really think about that because when I think about that, that's when I really start to feel it. And I used the people around me, my teammates, my family, my village, to really help relieve all of that if I do ever feel it. And, that, and I'm to a point where I just really block it out because I am who I am and I'm not going to change that. You making free throws now? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> How is it playing in the wobble? Uh, isn't that what you do? You call it the bubble or you call it the wobble? What's I it? call it the bubble. I don't know. That wobble stuff, that's weird, but I call it the bubble. All right, in the bubble. I just want to make sure I'm using the right language because you'll talk about me when we get out this show. (laughs) I hear about it. How are you feeling about playing in the bubble with COVID raging? What's that like? And I know, talk to to us about what a day is like in the bubble. I mean, you're you're, kind of stuck there for a few months. Oh, yeah, really stuck here. And um, it was, I'm not even going to lie to you, the beginning of it, it was the struggle because it was a lot of things that got out, like the whole wash and dryer room and like bugs everywhere. And just coming from South Carolina to Vegas to here, I'm like, oh, no, I, I like, I, in the beginning, I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is nasty. This is, it's gross. But then at the same time, I'm like, I'm probably more safe here than I'll be out somewhere else. So I had to really change my mentality of how I approach this bubble situation because I'm like, okay, I'm going to be here for three months. I got to get used to something. So um, the day is really honestly like a day in quarantine. Uh, it's just that you can go to the gym, but even then we got Clorox the basketballs and get your own cubbies and that's when you put all your equipment in. So we go to practice and we get testing every single day. They stick, that thing in your nose. they stick that thing in your nose every day? It's not the bad one. It's not the all the way back one, but it's the swab and you have to do the back of your throat. So it's, we have to do that every single day and it gets, it gets so exhausting because I'm like, all right, come on now. But I know it's for my health, so I get it. But you do that and you go to practice and then you're just chilling for the rest of the day. Like you get treatment, you do anything else in between those times. But it's just, it is boring because you can't do anything. Uh, but at the same time, that's when uh, Nafisa Kaya and I started our own podcast. Talk um, to me about it. I'm going to get to that. Talk to me about that. <laughs> what, what, are y'all, what are y'all talking about on that podcast? It looks exciting. <laughs> it is. Like, we talk about anything from, like, what's going on in our league to banana bread. I, I am totally against banana bread. Why are you? Whoa, like, whoa, we just, slow down. Why are you against <laughs> banana bread? I don't like it. I don't, I don't like that stuff. Like, I can't get into what is that mm-hmm. stuff? Like stuff coming together, like combinations. Like I don't. So like wait a minute, that. wait, wait. So like, so let, so let's break this down. So you don't like like banana pudding either. Not um. 
But do you allow, so do you allow your macaroni and cheese to touch your sweet potatoes? I don't really eat cheese like that. What? But when I do, yes. But it depends on whose mac and cheese it is. Of course. I mean, that's everybody's rule. But yes, I do do the combination. But when I'm saying like in like mixed and baked and stuff in together, that's disgusting and I'll never eat. And Nafisa says she adds sour cream, which always made me burn. But she adds sour cream to banana nut bread? Yes. Yeah, that's weird. Okay. See, but that's like that that's like <laughs> our podcast. Like we just talk about different stuff. What's going on in our lives and just being you know, the next generation up in the league, being back in this world. So it's just different stuff. I, I enjoy that we're starting this podcast. We're having different guests come on. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing in the, that in the sounds, bubble. That sounds so dope. Have y'all had any drama in the bubble? Have y'all, uh, have you all had any <laughs> anybody like uh, our friend Lou Will who went and visited an African-American performing arts center to get some <laughs> wings? Um, have, have y'all had any? No. <laughs> or are you not See, snitching? We- or you're not calling the snitch hotline, huh? I'm not. We don't see. We don't have them. We're 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 good. We're good over here. We're just here at IMG taking care of business. We're just like here. Just leave us out of that. We're just in our own little thing. <laughs> they got a lot of drama going on over there. They got people calling the snitch hotline. They they got people taking excursions for to to enjoy the wings. I mean, it's just it's it's too much going on over there. But one of the things that you all are doing, carrying the banner on, it's kind of wild because. I've always said that the most socially conscious league has always been the WNBA. Yeah. Um, it's weird because it's like the WNBA, NBA, and NASCAR now. Like, who would have guessed? Mm-hmm. Who had in their bingo card that NASCAR was going to be more conscious than than the NFL? But I digress. Talk to me about the culture of activism in the WNBA and why you think the WNBA is is so far ahead of the other uh, sports leagues and players um, actively leading on social issues, particularly around race. And talk to me a little bit about Maya Moore, who is, yeah. you know, one of the best players in the league who set out to go out on a quest for justice. Yeah, I, I honestly think that, like, it just comes from within. I think it's all, it's just how we're wired as women. And when you are giving, if you're playing professionally in our league, and our league is just so open, and at least literally, like, go ahead, like, talk about it, do what you need to do. Not only is it bringing light on our league, but it's bringing light on us as women. I think we're always business women before we're basketball players. and But when it's time, it's time. And I think at the end of the day, that's what makes our league so great because we run our own businesses. We are out here being activists. We're doing different things because that's what we've had to do for our whole entire lives. We had to find different ways because coming from playing overseas or just starting like myself, starting my own foundation. We've had to find ways to just live and matter in this world. So it allowed us to really pick brains of different people. And and that's how we started the social justice council in our league. And I think we're probably one of the first to ever even do that. And on those calls, we had people from Stacey Abrams, sorry, to Michelle Obama. And it's like, we're connecting with people that's just outside of the basketball world. And it's just so nice to see and to be behind in a league, be behind us that we're able to do that without being pushed to the side or not being heard. So I think it's just the way that we're wired that we're just like, you know, we want to get our points across. We want to be out here being heard, being that voice for the voiceless again, and just being seen. I think when people see us at WNBA, star is always the tagline before they use our names so you see that and it's like Mm -hmm. okay now that you've seen what i'm doing in my community 
tune into our games, buy our jerseys, reach out to different things, start donate to our foundations and our businesses. So I think it creates a whole different platform for us to speak out on, which I'm totally okay with and I love it. And when you see players like Maya Moore, who's the top, probably still top of our league, and she hasn't played, what, two seasons? She's still the top of our league because that's how powerful that she was as a player. Step aside and do what she loves and have a league behind her that's like, yeah, do it. It just gives you that much more momentum to continue to do what you want to do because at the end of the day, you have a league that's behind you that's going to make sure that you get out there and everybody knows that. So I give all the power to Maya Moore because she really went out on the limb on a lot of different things, but she did what she believed in and you see the results. So it is truly a blessing to be in this league because it's only 144 of us, 12 teams. Wow. 12. That's it. Like We don't have a G League. We don't have anything else. It's just us. And yeah, we get a lot of backlash, but if people would know our stories, if people would know what we go through, how we've been through it, and then where we are now, I think it would change the whole perspective. But people just don't want to take that chance. And I'm cool with it. I ain't here to force you. I don't care because I'm going to be who I am regardless. But I think it's like we have a lot of stories in our league that people can tap into that could make a big difference in this world. But the league is growing, too, even mm-hmm. with your activism. It's growing. But you, you, a while ago, you, uh, you went viral on Twitter with your tweet about LeBron James and the pay disparity and all of those things. Talk to me about uh, what made you tweet that out and, and how people responded to it. And you got a new CBA agreement. Uh, was that before or after the tweet? I can't remember. After. 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 Okay. So yeah. the tweet might have <laughs> helped a little bit, right? It might have put a little pressure on it. Got them pockets a little bit bigger. So tell me, tell me about, tell me about the tweet and the new CBA and what you think the future of the WNBA is. I think, I think that it's going to grow and continue to grow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, when it came to the tweet, it's quite funny because I didn't. I was out to lunch with my dad in LA because we just finished playing the sports, and I just saw, and that's when the ticker went by, and I was like, God. He has a lot of money, but LeBron <laughs> deserves it. I was like, he deserves it. He's worked hard for it, but I'm like, good Lord, that's a lot of money. And so that's when I was just Twitter fingers. I ain't really thinking. I was just like, dang, like that's wild. Like, like you're shoot. not the number one pick. Like you just, like you, <laughs> like you still playing. No for, one's going to pay attention to that. Like, like, like you still playing for, for Heathwood JV. Oh, you didn't even play JV. <laughs> so like you still playing your freshman year at Heathwood. Ain't nobody going to care about the tweet. Okay. <laughs> I just started tweeting. I was like, you know what? Like, dang, I just, and I wasn't even thinking about myself. I was thinking about the other vets that could easily get that, uh, like in, in our league, that I'm like, oh, they totally deserve that in our league. But then that's when all of a sudden I just feel my phone like blowing up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is going on? I was like, what is going on? So I checked Twitter and I'm like, oh, here we go. It's time to get some clapback. So I started getting ready for everything coming forward. And I was ready. And my dad was just kind of like, you good? Like, you really focused? I was like, dad, they on here trying to get me. <laughs> so anybody that knows Roscoe is just like, oh, uh, uh, who are you uh, trying to get? I was like, say this. Say this. Say this. <laughs> write this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, yeah, but he was also proud that his baby girl was understanding and seeing things and using her voice to demand a change. And I think that was kind of like the push. Um, because I'm not the first WNBA player that talked about it at all. Not even, it won't be the last. But like you said, I think people don't understand how young our league really is. Yeah. And that's why it's like why they always jump on it. Like, yeah, you always complain about money. And this is why you don't deserve it. And I'm like, 
this league is 22, 23 years old. Like we're still young. We're still finding our way. But at the same time, it's not necessarily just equal pay, equal pay, equal pay. It's more about just fair pay. Just be fair with it. And that's our key things. And I know Shanae said that. She said it a while back. was just like, you know, just fair pay. That's all we ask. We're not even asking because we know we're not going to match the NBA. There's not no, no possibility. But when it comes to just fairness, and that's what we saw in our CBA. Nick, I think that's a six, really a six year A six-year CBA. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's just like, and it's the little things in that. And people don't really notice, like, yes, I didn't have my own room. I had to be roommates. Like, I, yes, I had, until I was fifth year. No, we don't fly private jets. It's like those little things that just matters that people are like, what? And it's like, yeah. That, so y'all that's fly, y'all fly private in. now? Well, they can give us the opportunity, like, when we go to playoffs, if it's like a West Coast and East Coast okay. plan, okay. you can fly. Like, that's what we did this past year. So it's just those little things that's so big to us because we never had it and, and we're young and we're still developing but i think the sky's the limit with this league especially with social media going on right now i think we can utilize that as a big thing to draw people to our games to draw people to us individually and our team so it's a blessing to be in this league because it, it ain't a, it ain't a lot of us <laughs> well true and then you it's a lot it's a whole lot of gamecock shout out to kiki my girl kiki Yes. <laughs> and, and, and Ty Harris out there balling out of control. And, and there's going to be a lot more in the next two to three years. Yes. Um, you know, my last question is just tell folk outside of the podcast, which is dope. Everybody go and subscribe. Uh, but also, what other projects are you working on? I know you said you have a foundation. You kind of ran through that. Talk to people about what your foundation does. I hope, I hope, and I don't mean to put any more pressure on you. Jade is going <laughs> to uh, email me after this and be like, why would you do that? I hope you're writing a book. I hope you are writing a book for a young adult book for other, uh, not just brown girls, but but women, period, to show them that yeah. you can come from Hopkins, you can come from Heathwood <laughs> Hall, you can stay home and uh, help build something great. So I hope you're writing too. But what projects are you working on? Um, my biggest project is always going to be my foundation. Um, for people that don't know, I was probably diagnosed with dyslexia, my learning disability, when I was maybe like a junior in high school, I want to say. And it was something that my parents kind of overlooked because they thought I was a lazy teenager that just wasn't studying and just didn't want to do anything. But in actuality, when I got tested, we found out, you know, Asia learns different, she studies different. So that's when I knew going into college and they supplied with all these resources. I mean, it's like, Asia, you have a pen that can talk to you, that can write notes and everything. And I'm like, oh my God, like Jesus, if someone else, if a young middle schooler had this pen, they would feel so much better about themselves. So I knew in college, I wanted to, bring light to that, uh, to learning disabilities, to dyslexia as a key part, because I knew if I didn't have the resources that I had growing up, that I wouldn't be who I was today. And I think that is so key is just the resources, just the little things. And I wanted to be a resource for those families, for those children that aren't as fortunate as myself. So that's when I started the Asia Wilson Foundation. And we have been really, really working, just trying to raise money. I always get caught up and so excited because I'm like, oh, I just want to help. Like, go, 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 mom, go. Because yeah. my mom's really in charge of me. And she's like, Asia, we got to raise money. Like, we just can't go out there. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I want to do all this stuff. But, like. That's the like, hardest creation. part. Yeah. Yes. Like, they just get the flowing. And I'm like, oh, my God. I just want to help. Like, just want to help. But at the end of the day, you know, we've raised a lot of money in maybe, like, a 18 month. That's how long I've had my foundation, I want to say. Maybe. So we're still super young, but we do little things like we raise money through a bus trip when we could see 
players play in Atlanta. Uh, we just raise different money and we're just always helping people. And hopefully we're going with the, um, the library in South Carolina and just forming something about maybe after school programs, different things yeah. like that. So um, my mind is always rolling about my foundation. And um, I don't know just yet about writing a book. I definitely, a lot of people have been coming to me saying like, oh, I cannot wait for your book to drop. And I'm like, do y'all know something? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's definitely just something that I have kept in the back of my mind of just thinking about getting my story out in a way that, you know, people will be dialed into. And I'm super excited to just see what the future has to come. Uh, I'm trying, I'm very optimistic in different things. So I can't wait to just see just what, how, what the future unfolds for me. And just, I have a great team behind me with Jade and my agent, Aaron, everyone behind me. So I'm just excited to continue to work with that. Well, look, I, I, uh, <laughs> the only thing I want from you is a WNBA championship. I, hey, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you get it in the bubble. Thank I got you so battle much. wounds. This is crazy. What happened? Games, it's getting real out here in the bubble. People they trying can't, to, but see, they can't, they can't guard you, so they just foul you. <laughs> they foul you. What yeah. you shoot? What you shoot from the free throw line this year, right now? I don't know. I don't know. I see. I keep looking at numbers. Can't you can't look, look at numbers. Oh, okay. All right. I hear. I you. just look at the scoreboard. That's the only numbers that I look at. Oh, that's score. the that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that matters. Look, if you need a care package, let me know. I don't know if we can send care packages to the bubble. I ain't gonna send you no macaroni and cheese, but I'll send you I'll send you something. And I wish you oh, nothing but the best. If my if my um I got two daughters, Kai and, and Sadie, they they Kai listens to the podcast, but if they can grow up and be like Asia Wilson, then they'd be great women. So thank you so oh, much, homie. You. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.